What do you believe? What do you believe? Hello, friends. This is Kent Lapp, and welcome to the KLP, where we give you long-form, in-person conversations that explore and inform. Today, I'm excited to give you my guest in this conversation, uh, which is Gregory Byerline. Gregory is a commercial photographer at Journeys, the shoe company you see in pretty much every mall around the world, really. He is the producer of Someone Like Me podcast for End Slavery Tennessee, as well as a couple other podcasts that we talk about in our conversation. And he also does some freelance photography and is pretty incredible at it. Our discussion covered the magic of great photography, the role of art in society, the gift of sex when experienced per our design, the beauty of music, and much more. Be sure to check out our show on YouTube. If you haven't already and subscribe there, please just search the Can't Lap Podcast on YouTube and you'll find us. And if you would, tell someone else about the show. That's a great way to spread the word. Really appreciate it. And with that, I give you my conversation with Gregory Byerline. Please enjoy. We may get into this, but uh, my ultra-conservative fundamentalist background. Um, now, granted, I was 21 when I started doing this, but I'm like, I want a pipe. Yeah. C.S. Lewis smoked pipes. Exactly. I'm good. Yep. It's okay. Yep. <laughs> so, it works. Yes. Granted, now, at 16, I probably ought to not be doing that, but... Yeah, maybe or maybe not. I'm 21, 22. I want to hear about that background. I didn't know you had that. By the way, just keep the mic nice and close. Two or three fingers. When in doubt, get closer on the mic, please. Yep. What is up with the... uh, I didn't know you had a fundamentalist background. Yes. um, I wouldn't necessarily call it like fundamentalist. There was a lot of fundamentalism. Okay. Um, I grew up in the Assemblies of God denomination. Okay. Which actually, I suppose that is fundamentalist. Okay. Um. I don't know much about that denomination. It's uh, it's kind of a distant cousin to the Church of God. Okay. It's not as narrow focused as your Mennonite background, mm-hmm. as I've heard you talk about. But it's, uh, I mean, it's pretty narrow. Okay. Um, which, as a teenager, was awesome. Okay. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic I, right no, now? I, no, I'm I'm being serious. Uh, I needed those. Um, well. Since I just experienced this, tell you what else is narrow: train tracks. Yeah, yeah. If you get off the rails, you get off the rails. Yeah, so that so, served you well. So there, there's a there's a there's a there's a place for it to an extent. Yeah. Okay. But for those that, so that fundamentalism or experiencing some fundamentalist type tendencies works better for some people than for others. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's the rails they kind of needed to thrive on, and then other people it just sort of is not a good fit and it can really kind of like send them off into a bad direction quickly. So for you, it was actually helpful. Uh, yes. Yes. But you done. seem that, which is surprising to me because you seem like a free spirit, sort of a more creative person. That is correct. And those types of people sometimes don't do very well in that type of environment. Also correct. So how, what happened that you seem to, do fairly well in that environment. I moved to Nashville. Mm. So <laughs> by doing well in that environment, what you mean is you got away from it. Yes. <laughs> so you weren't doing so good in that yes. environment. Well, it, uh, it, it served me well up until a certain age. 
mm-hmm. when I needed those boundaries. Uh, like I heard someone today, uh, literally on the way in, he said, I, I grew up in a faith that was handed to me. Mm-hmm. And he was grateful for that. So was I. But mm-hmm. when I claimed, when I took responsibility for my own faith, then faith opened up. Ah, uh, yeah. It became, it became mine. It became real. It became internalized instead of, this is what you don't do. Mm-hmm. It became, this is, wow, there's a lot of freedom here. This is what I get to do. Yeah. Now there's a thin line between that and doing whatever in the hell I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was a far cry from don't ever do this. Yeah. Don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. Don't ever smoke a pipe. I'm like, wait a yeah. minute, brother Jack. Yeah. So, well, that speaks to some of the, cultural influence that we experience and never think about, you know, like when you have these rules about not smoking pipes or whatever it may be. And then you look back in history and look at all these great men and probably even women that did. And, uh, people that you would, (laughs) they would quote, you know, um, but they wouldn't choose their lifestyle, which is fine, by the way. I mean, my Mennonite friends and brothers and sisters and all that, um, that are still, in that kind of tradition, I mean, most of them, you know, don't do it, at least openly. Right. And, you know, that lifestyle actually works. That's my point. That lifestyle actually really works for some people, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it's not for everybody. Yep. So that's up to people to decide for themselves as they become adults and take agency in their own life and make decisions. I think there needs to be a category uh, for those, whether it's Church of God or Assemblies of God or Mennonite or Amish, there needs to be... In understanding that maybe this isn't for everybody, it might be for you, but if you raise a child and they choose to leave that, that might be okay, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's called being part of the body of Christ, right? Yeah, yeah. There's hands, there's feet, there's ah, uh, sure, there's elbows, okay, there's armpits, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nether regions, but there are pretty faces, you know. So it's yes, it's all part. Yeah, but this is something my wife and I were just talking about a couple of months ago. No, less than that, a month ago, we. There are, we have experienced people in the Amish, in the Mennonite, Baptist, uh, used to be atheists. Like, you name it, like this huge, broad range of people, and you find people that are on the way in all of those, in all of those sort of camps. And, I mean, there's, there are people on the way, like Christ lovers, in conservative camps you can think of, but they have a genuine heart change and they're on the way. Like, and you have kind of this yep. resonance with them. Um, but then you have people who are very similar to you maybe, but aren't on the way. And you just, you know, you have this kind of this, that's what's beautiful about the gospel is it transcends culture. Yep. That's my point. So you can have almost any kind of cultural background or even be in any kind of a different culture. And you can have that connection with someone if they're like living in or living out the kingdom of God. Yep. Uh, where did you, okay. I wanted to, one of the things that occurred to me soon before you got here was that probably art, I think we're going to talk a lot about art. I want, because I can see that being central to a lot of who you are as a person and what you do. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that, but first, can you just kind of give the listeners a little bit about who you are and where you're from and what you do? Yes. Um, I grew up in central Illinois. Uh, I was born in Springfield, land of Lincoln. Um, moved here to the south of the Mason-Dixon line, and I 
Uh, I like to joke that I'm from the state that produced both Grant and Lincoln. Mm. Um, that sometimes doesn't go over very well yeah. down here. But uh, I grew up in the land of Lincoln. Um, and Lincoln was, to my hometown, what Andrew Jackson is here. Okay. Um, he was born in Kentucky, raised in Indiana, moved to outside Springfield, Illinois, and from there he ascended his political life. Mm. Um, so he's our, he's our hometown hero. Mm-hmm. Um, went to college in Springfield, Missouri, at an Assemblies of God liberal university, liberal arts university. And from there, I met a very dear friend and mentor who helped me get into the music industry here in Nashville. So I moved to Nashville to work on the business side of music. In Uh, after college, in college? After college. Okay. Yeah. My goal was to graduate college knowing where I was going to go. So Mm. I I left college, went home, packed my crap, moved here Mm -hmm. like within two weeks. And um, had a job in the music business and loved that while I was in it. Um, took some side side jobs, worked for an interior decorator for three years, which was awesome. Like truly awesome. That wasn't sarcastic. It was awesome. My world went from here to here mm. because I was, I did a little bit of everything. I did some like PR and marketing for him, but I also drove the truck. And I slept furniture and I went to Atlanta like at least two or three times a month um, and picked up stuff. And I went to real art galleries and I'm carrying these, you know, centuries old rugs and tapestries and all of this fine fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And it just deeply enriched my life and my aesthetic. How about the homes that you got into? Was that also kind of expanding or... Not so much. Or um, the, weren't you in the homes? Oh, it was very much in the homes. You were? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mostly in Bellmead, Green Hills. So um, pretty Brown nice Area. homes. Oh, very nice. Okay. Yeah. How were the customers? Um, as you might suspect um, that group to be, um, they treated me very kindly, mm-hmm. um, very wealthy, very um, resolute. It's like they know what they want. Mm. Um, they trusted the designer to deliver and they trusted his aesthetic but if it wasn't working they would say so okay and, yeah and he would pivot or, see that. or sure. there might be some clash one way or another um it's it was real symbiotic but he was one of the top designers in the southeast decorators in the southeast and i mean his his work was amazing he had the, it was three of the most formative um years of my life 22 to 25. Wow. What a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. So for, you know, Midwestern farm town kid town, I grew up in literally was a mile wide signpost to signpost, 13 streets, one mile, (laughs) not even a blinking light. Uh huh. You knew you were in town because speed limit went down to 30. Um, the school I went through, I was in the same building K through 12. Okay. Yeah, that's me too. It was a, it was a, it was a tall building. It was a north-south um, building. You go in the middle on the western side, first grade, second grade, third grade, go up a level, fourth, fifth, sixth, back this way, and you basically just did a lap. No way. And the cafeteria was in the middle. The gymnasium was in the middle. Um, I K through 12, same building. Half my graduated class I was in kindergarten with. <laughs> did you, have, did you make awesome. lifetime friends from that? To this day? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
Because I did two, but I don't see them nearly enough. They're yep. all kind of spread out now. Yep. I've retained one like regularly in my life. Um, he and I literally have memories uh, since we were age two mm. playing together. Uh, probably two closer to three, but we are, we confirmed with our parents we were we were late twos. And um, I mean, I just consider him a brother from. Another Is he mother. in town? No, he's he's still back home. Okay, so how do you keep up with him? Not to distract you from your story. Facebook but. and text. Oh and yeah. And then occasionally he'll 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 pop in here when I go home, which is very often. But when I okay, go home. like do you text once a week or what's this look like? Oh no, it's every three four months. Oh okay, yeah. all right. So yeah, you're I mean, not we like we stay connected. Okay. Okay, because I feel like with some of my childhood friends, I do that. But I feel like I don't. I don't do good at keeping up with someone on anyone, honestly, uh, on a daily basis unless Ditto. I see him. You know. Ditto. So that's basically Kobe and my wife, family and coworkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, back to the story. Yep. Um, so this is up to twenty-five. Um, left the design firm, went to a small independent record label, and to do what? I was the marketing department mm. for uh, it was an instrumental concept record label. So what that means is the title is larger than the performer. <laughs> Classic movie love songs. Mm. Solo piano. Stan Waitmeyer. Mm. Um, uh, think um, actually this company was one of the first companies to have music in Cracker Barrel. Like the little, you know, press the button, hear the music, buy oh, the yeah. CD, go out the store. Okay. Um, I would dare say that Cracker Barrel Records exists because of this company. Wow. Because there was a proof of concept going on and it was thematic music. There'd be like, you know, Smoky Mountain Hymns, um, uh, Silver Screen Classics, which, you know, old old movies, but performed yep. on solo violin or with, with orchestra, yep. but by a solo violinist. Um, and then when the sales team got those into Cracker Barrel, they did very well. Brilliant marketing because that's a great placement. Um, and then it has just morphed into what Cracker Barrel is. Um, yeah. I think the record company is still around. Um, I haven't checked because yeah. I left there, oh gosh, pushing 20 years ago. Um, great experience. Still great friends that I have from that small team. Yeah. Uh, from there, I took what was a side move out uh, from marketing to marketing. Um, from music to book publishing. Mm. I was at, I went to Thomas Nelson Publishers uh, for six of the longest month of my, months of my life. Two weeks in, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Really? Yes. What year? Like this has been like this the early 2000s or not, been, late 90s? Let's see, I was married in 90s. This has been mid-90s. Mid-90s, okay. Yes. Um, this is to say nothing disparaging about the company. Solid company. I was there when Michael Hyatt was the president. I mean, it was oh, yeah. it was a great experience. Except, I was a free thinking creative, square peg, working inside a very formalized, structured, corporate round mm -hmm. hole. Mm -hmm. um, neither of which are wrong. They just don't fit. Um, when I was the sole person of a marketing department. I could almost make my own decisions so I could figure out a way to do things. When I moved to a larger publicly traded corporate company, there, there was a way right. to do things. Yeah. There was the way to do things. Um, that said, 
two of my colleagues from Thomas Nelson are still very dear friends of mine. Um, one I'm going to have on my podcast soon. Oh, nice. Uh, she's got an amazing story. She's an amazing human being. Her business partner has been the single most repeat client for my photography business. Oh, cool. Photographed her so many times, so many ways. Um, and I met them both at Thomas Nelson. Mm. From there, uh, I, and I got restructured out every, um, well, six months later, which was an, it was an ego hit, but okay. it ended up being a good thing. You know, okay. the, the bumps are Why didn't you leave? Right. Why didn't you leave sooner? Um, wanted to plant a little bit, see if I could learn something that I didn't know and sure. grow a little bit. Um, I just never really felt felt the the opportunity or took the opportunity to go find something else. Yeah. Um, so from there, I went to a group of magazine publishers uh, to sell ads. Don't ask me to sell anything. I, I don't. I'm not a sales person. Mm. I would like to. If you would like to buy something that I sell, awesome. Right. But I'm not a. This is what you need. Sure. Um, it was more of a service thing. Um, it literally was, I needed a job. I had, it was, I had young marriage, had a wife at the time. I still do have the wife, but at that time it was just a young marriage. Yeah. I needed to provide. Um, I needed a job. Uh, fast forward to, uh, like, I think I was there for three years or so. And then my wife finishes nursing school, top in her class. We're like, are we really tied to Nashville? We love it here, but do we have to stay here? We're like, not necessarily. So she interviewed for a nursing position in Burlington, Vermont. Why? Because we had at that time, we'd never been to Vermont. Okay. It was complete foreign territory to us. Okay. Yeah, um, it's an adventure. And why not? Just most people would move from Vermont to Nashville, not from Nashville to right, Vermont. Right. Uh, <laughs> But since we honeymooned in Maine, okay. uh, we, had, we had a little uh, hint of New England. Um, and the funny thing is, is because we were like, tell, tell everybody we were going to go honeymoon in Maine. They'll be like, what's in Maine? I've heard it's really pretty. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it was. And it, awesome. was it yes, is. Yes. Yeah. We fell in love with New England. So they flew her up there, put her up for two nights for a three-hour interview. And we saw the schedule. I'm like, okay, I'm going because it's only going to cost us car rental, airfare for me. I think they yep. gave her a stipend for food. So we were we were basically there for three days, two nights for a three-hour interview. Okay. Um, and while we were there, like one of our dinner nights is we drove from there to Lake Placid. And this is like yeah. March. This is March. Okay. Okay. Yep. It's still the dead of winter. Uh, went into the hockey arena. Amazing electric experience just yeah. chills just being there and there was some you know some pickup hiking going on um we took a dog sled ride oh, cool. while we were there we took a two-horse open sleigh ride there was uh it's like think a hay ride you know it was yeah. like this sleigh uh with wood walls hay bales mm-hmm. blankets i mean it's probably you know 10 20 degrees two horses frozen solid Lake Placid. Oh, that's kind of cool. Okay. So a horse is what a ton each. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Two horses full gallop on a frozen Lake, but there's snow on the Lake, right? 
Or you yeah. are you on the ice? We're on the ice. I mean, but but With, the horse would slip on it through ice. Was it ice and then they, snow? I would imagine the horses had like, yeah, um, right, something like on the shoes, horseshoes so so or something. Tons of horse. Dude, that is cool. Two horse open sleigh, full gallop. That sounds fun. They, I think he said the ice was like three feet thick. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. Like so much that I remember that it was very vivid. Um, this is coming around. I'm getting somewhere. I'll, I'll close the loop because I'm a storyteller. Um, we're flying out of Vermont. Um, of course, after going to Ben and Jerry's and Stowe, Stowe. I mean, we just took advantage of this all but three hours that we had. And eight o'clock flight, Northwest Airlines. Um, we're overbooked. We're looking for some volunteers to take the 830 flight. I'm like, baby, hold on a minute. Let's, uh. let's just wait. I think the offer was, I don't know, $200 voucher or something I'm like, yep. hold on, let's wait. Two or three rounds later, it and they upped it to round trip airfare anywhere Northwest flies. So Oh, nice. <laughs> you like, and your okay. wife got it? Yes. We waited 30 minutes to get on the next flight and scored two round trip it's air totally tickets worth it. anywhere Northwest yeah. Flew. So like, okay, what's the farthest trip we can make with Northwest Airlines? We looked at Alaska. We, I mean, we, we were like, okay, let's really take advantage. When you say Northwest, you're sure you're not talking about Southwest, right? I'm positive. It was Northwest Airlines, okay. and I'm not even sure they're still around. Because I don't even feel like I've ever heard of Northwest Airlines. That's why I asked. Yeah, them. I'm not okay. sure they're still around. But definitely not Southwest. I'll relight in a little bit. Um, we ended up going to Montana. This is 2006 by this point. Yeah, let me do that math again. Yes, 2006. This is the time when digital photography was just coming onto the scene. Mm -hmm. And I had a little point shoot. I mean, there were high-end... I mean, digital photography was really just for the pros. But they had started rolling it out into consumer level. I, it was literally this size. But I didn't... And it was one of those where you would just do this. Uh -huh. And I didn't want to go through Glacier National Park like this. Mm. So I bought a digital uh, SLR. Yeah, just move that around wherever okay. you want to put it. I didn't want to squeak it. By the way, it takes back. It goes back with you. Okay. Whatever. Awesome. Um, I bought an entry-level consumer digital SLR. So I can look, take real photos with a very not real camera, but it got me where I needed to go. Um, we're in God's country. Have you been to Montana, by the way? No. Been to Idaho. Okay. So you have an idea. Yeah. Uh, Idaho is basically western Western Montana. Yeah. Unless you're in the south, the block part. But if you're up in the thin part, you're basically in Montana. So Glacier National Park, totally, I'm, I'm convinced this is where God's house is. I believe that. Uh, or where he would put one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that's where I want to put one. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is for sure. So... I, we were there for five days. We drove, I don't know, 1,900 miles. Because when we, at the time, it was just us. So when we go on vacation, we go on right. vacation. No kids. No kids. It was just us and a rental car and my camera. So 1,900 miles later, 2,500 frames later, we get back home. And I start playing with these photos. Is this your introduction to photography? Uh, in a way, yes. Okay. Yeah. So you have... It's the first kind of time you're getting serious with a digital camera. But prior to that, had, did you have those old like 
Kodak things or whatever with the films? Like, were you toying around with cameras much up until this point? When I was not? a teenager, yes. Okay. I, ha- I still have my camera from my teenage years, which for me was the 80s. Uh, it's a Pentax K1000 35mm camera to just total kit lens. I mean, it was probably a Kmart or a JCPenney catalog. Mm-hmm. So was photography like always in your blood a little bit? It or? was more of an interest and a hobby. Okay. But the thing about film photography, uh, I, well, I didn't study in college. I studied business in college. Took one photography class as an elective in college. Did the whole darkroom thing. I, I don't know how to do it now, though, mm-hmm. just because I, well, I don't need to, and I, and I didn't do it well then. Um, but with the advent of this digital camera, it recorded everything about the photo that prior to digital, I would need to, okay, my shutter speed was this, my f-stop was this. I'd have to have a pen and paper. Oh, wow. I didn't realize To that. write it all down. Yeah. Now it's embedded in the metadata. So I, I could get home and I could look at an image and go, hmm, how could that be? Is it overexposed? Is it underexposed? I don't know. Let me get under the hood. Let me look at the numbers. Mm. And it would tell me something. And then I would try it. And I would, okay, so if I set on the same settings, then if I adjust it this, oh, look what happens when I just switch this one thing. Mm-hmm. Did that enough times. And I taught myself the craft of photography, digital photography, which is still photography, that I was able to absorb digitally what I didn't grasp in analog. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on these photos and my wife looks over at me and she said, you know, I think I like you better when you're working with photos. Really? Which is her way of saying, I think, I mean, right now you're, you're, you're employed. You have a job. It's, we're doing okay, but I'm not sure you really love what you're doing. And what are you doing at this point? At this point, I am selling or trying to convince people to buy ads okay. <laughs> for, okay. for yep. family print magazines. Yep. Um, selling. Yeah. So she said, I want you to be super jazzed about your line of work. And I, th- it feels like you're super jazzed about photography. Is that accurate? She's like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm kind of like discovering something that I didn't really knew I loved, but the love was always there. So we formulated an exit strategy. I'm like, okay, could I go, could I jump from my job and go 100% freelance by Datex? And we made that happen. It was probably fall of 27, 2007. Uh, so it took about a year. Um, and then I had a, another dear friend, one of my photography mentors, um, took me under his wing, taught me everything I know, a fraction of what he knows, but definitely everything that I know. Uh, and I built a freelance photography business, which I miss terribly. But I went, I was then hired on to be a corporate photographer by my number one client at the time because we started growing a family. And at the, that age of digital photography, this is early 2010. So this is 2011, 2012 was like the heyday of wedding and portrait photography and there's seminars and all, all, like, all this stuff. And maybe it's still going on now. I've, I, once I left the industry, I kind of never looked back. Um, but... So, and then I went internal with one of my number one clients and that is a product photography company. I've been shooting shoes ever since. Was that Journeys? It is Journeys. 
So you went you went full time with Journeys in 2011, 2012. 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I I I really like that company, that brand. It's a solid company. Yeah. Parent you company know, uh, is Genesco, and it's, yeah. And we were profitable last year. You were profitable. We were profitable last Genesco year. Genesco or Journeys? Uh, yes. Both. Uh, Journeys carried Genesco a lot. Really? I, I say I say that because I'm bragging on the leadership of Genesco Parent Company and Journeys Division. Yeah. Do you know Rob Taylor? I do. Yeah. He's a solid guy. Yep. Yep. We were emailing about something yesterday. Oh, yeah? Yep. It's very rare. Like, what he does and what I do don't cross a lot. Right. But in this instance, it does because we're moving to a new building and he's going to help me build the new studio. So oh, cool. He was asking me some technical questions about gear. Where are you moving? That we needed. Um, the plan is to go into what is the, the former Bridgestone building on Elm Hill Pike and Briley. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, right not, now you're not right. the whole building, but some of the floors. Okay. Is is Journeys or Genesco staying in the building by the airport too? Or? Nope. Oh, wow. Dude, moving completely out of that building. Mm-hmm. Ah. That building will become a runway. Really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know there was a new runway going in. But uh, is Rob still the chief operating officer of Journeys? Yes, slightly different title, but okay. but yes, mm. yes. I don't remember what the actual title is, but there. I don't is know if I've met someone who works harder than Rob. <laughs> yeah. He's just always on, man. Yeah. I mean, I first met him, I think, in 2014. Yeah. Wow, that's so long ago now. My goodness. And every time I talked to him on the phone, he was in some city around the world, randomly just working, man, mm-hmm. working. And he has got a lot going on personally and he somehow stays on top of it all, or it, it seems to me he does. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's just got a great personality. What I, what I also learned or what I also like about journeys and Rob Taylor is like, as the chief operating officer of a large company, he somehow like is still himself or so it seems to me like Mm -hmm. he's tatted up and he's, he seems like he's kind of a free thinker himself and yet he's thriving at a corporate corporation, you know, welcome to journeys. Yeah. Well, that's, (laughs) I think that that is the, the that does seem like it's the culture of journeys. That's what part of what I like about it. Yep. It seems like it's, um, and journeys has just done a really good job with their branding and it just seems like it's really, cohesive Mm -hmm. you know like what they're doing it just seems like it's cohesive with the team and their locations and their marketing and their the shoes they carry like all it just seems like a really tight brand that's what it seems like to me Uh, i'm glad it seems that way because that's the way it is is it yep yeah so i often told people when i was moving from freelance to uh, a day gig i was like look if i'm gonna go corporate which i'm choosing to this is the corporation to go with yeah, I could see that. And see being that great fit for you. That has been confirmed in spades many times. Really? Yes. But yes. I thought you were still freelance. I thought I thought you still did photography on the side. I do when I want to. Okay. Okay. So you can. But I, but I no longer go out fishing for work. Oh, really? If it if it comes to me through referrals, awesome. If it's the right kind of job, then yeah, I'll I'll, I'll carve time out to do it. Okay. But I don't. I'm not dropping my hook in the water. Gotcha. And, and like looking for work. I see. Um, that being said, if if something comes my way, I'm like, yeah, I resonate with that. I get what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It aligns with my core values. 
yeah, let's do it. Mm -hmm. But I know I'm no longer just uh, yeah, I'll shoot whatever. I see. So, I can shoot whatever, but that doesn't mean I'm going to shoot whatever. Yeah. And by the way, what uh, did you already say? What is it that you do at Journeys? Or has your role shifted through the years? But are you getting to play on your photography? Your love of photography is still there. Yes. Um, the the business side of me really gets tapped into because I am the senior manager of the ecom photography studio. So if you go to journeys.com and you're shopping shoes, you're like clicking on like all the shoes that come up, then my team has shot those shoes. Mm. I built the system that is, I built the system going on eight, nine years ago that we still use today. Um, I basically did what I did for them as freelance. I brought it in house and then mm -hmm. we've expanded it. Mm -hmm. um, so I built the system, the processes, you know, bought the gear, built the team. Wow. All of that. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. And now I'm, now I'm doing more strategy. Um, um, what images of the shoe do we show? What sequence are they in? Mm. Are we showing just the shoe? Are we shooting knee down? Are we shooting on model? Like all, all of the what ifs. Hmm. What about we do this? That's, that's my role now. Mm -hmm. When you say you built a system, what, what does that mean? The, the team um, or, or, or the, like literally the system of, um, had to buy the gear, had to like lay out the studio. This is how many cameras we need. This is how many tables we need. This is how many shooters we're going to need based on our workflow. Um, when they make an image, you know, the question was, do they shoot to card and then download later? Do we shoot it into the network where someone else can then take something with it? That kind of system. Mm -hmm. I built the machine. Yeah. If that Good. makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Can we, um, just kind of distract you for a second to ask you what, what you got going here? Um, because if we're not about to drink that, then I'm going to pour some bourbon. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I don't know if you drink this or I, what. No, this you is, said this is a game. This is drinkable. Um, <laughs> I, and I brought sample sizes because we're going to do a little taste test. Okay. And then I'll tell you what it is. Okay. But I want to know which one you like. Okay. Or don't like. I'm down for that. Um, all can, that. Okay. Can you give me categories? Are they, they look like they're bourbons. These are both bourbons. Both are bourbons. Okay. Both are bourbons. And I'm just going to give you like sample quantities at this point. Okay. That's Colonel Taylor. Yeah, that's Colonel Taylor. Right? Mm, yeah, that's good. It is not Colonel Taylor. Very good. Ah. I will have to check my phone because I... I swear, like, I'm going to remember what's what, and the, but I didn't. I took a picture of the actual bottle next to these jars, so I'll be reminded what they are. That has a very distinct smell that I feel like I really know. And if you want more of this, you're welcome to check it. I have no idea. That tastes like Colonel Taylor, too. <laughs> I have no idea what I, I was just drinking. Turn my phone back on. <laughs> so, the identity Both of, very good, of each of these uh, will be revealed specifically here in a moment, but I will tell you that one is Chattanooga Whiskey 91. Uh, I barely believe you on that because I've had Chattanooga Whiskey and I didn't, it wasn't like the favorite bourbon that I've ever had. 
But both of these are extremely good. The other one is Evan Williams Black Label. Oh, wow. I was way off. Um, And as soon as this fires up, I'll tell you which one it is. Um, Here's why I did this. Knowing you are a bourbon fan, and I'm a bourbon, bourbon fan too, I have recently discovered that my... My go-to end of the day, I just, I just, you know, I just want to have a little sip and just mm-hmm. chill. Not the, hey, I'm going to sit around with the guys, drink, you know, have yep. bourbon, smoke cigars, all that stuff. That's, that's not that. Um, that's not my Evan Williams. But this was the Evan Williams, the second okay. one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Evan the, Williams the, Black Label. The, yes. The first one was Chattanooga Whiskey 91. What do you, how, roughly how much per bottle each do you think? <laughs> $20 for a liter and a half. Wow, that's shocking to me. Can I have a little bit more of that? Yeah. And this Chattanooga 91 was, I don't know, mid-40s? Okay, yeah. So for me, this is the, wow, both the, very good. the cheap relaxation. Mm-hmm. And then when I want to like treat myself or host some friends, mm-hmm. then it's, you know, I you move over. I, I move. I move over and and up and I and I sort them by proof. Now yeah. I will tell you that my uh, I've had enough bourbons and whiskeys to know that my palate is a low nineties preference. Okay, that's my sweet spot, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, Gentleman Jack is eighty, just for reference. Tim okay. Cup is eighty five. Okay, these are both. Uh, Evan Williams is ninety. Chattanooga whiskey is ninety one. I've had some like 125s. I'm like, yeah, that was that was cool, but yeah, a little hot for my taste. Right. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the point of this experiment was to show that no labels aside, that just a good bourbon, yeah, is a good bourbon. I I totally agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm not uh, now they can become great bourbons, but a good bourbon is a good bourbon. I do agree with that. And I am not a connoisseur. I have friends that are, and I enjoy what I know is I enjoy generally speaking, whiskey more than wine and bourbon more than whiskey. And that's kind of the extent of my knowledge on the subject. That's as far as (laughs) both. These are very good. I would drink that as kind of a daily drinker. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for bringing them by the way. Very tasty. A little fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, photography. Yes. I don't know if I want to go into journeys more or I do want to go into journeys more because that's what we're talking about. So they sell shoes primarily, but again, they have a very particular brand at journeys. How would you describe the brand? It is a teenage lifestyle brand, late, late teens, early twenties lifestyle. brand. Yes. Okay. Uh, now I say brand, it's a brand of stores. You cannot buy a pair of journeys branded shoes. Exactly. We are a reseller of other brands. Yes. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Okay. So do you have the dual role of incorporating the manufacturer's brand along with Journeys and somehow, and then you have the demographic and somehow you have to like meet at the intersection of those three things and that's what you need to be conveying? Yes. Or do so you not worry so much about the manufacturer's brand? Secondarily. Okay. Primarily is we present their brands through a Journeys lens. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Uh, an example, Sperry. What did you think of Sperry? Yeah, I don't even know what that is, bro. Sperry top siders. I have no idea. I'm okay. not a shoe guy, man. Okay. okay so, <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing cup. Okay, I'm wearing then these, let's. You know, let's I know go I like the brand these. we don't carry. What, Nautica. 
Okay. Yep. Did a brand come to mind? Uh, not really. Sort of. I mean, okay. So they're you're uh, gonna have to dumb this down, they're, man. They're Johnson and Murphy. How about that? That is for our age. Yeah. Uh, it's like thirty-five and up. Yeah. A little more established professional. Um, wearing some J and M's as as we speak. Yes. Oh, uh, some nice. knitted knitted brogues. It's a sock top brogues. Oh, I like, like those. Wow. Super comfortable. Um, okay, so Sperry and Nautica, they're they're boat shoes. You've, you, I mean, you that's know, what I was going to say, yeah, but you know I mean, I didn't, yeah. But, okay, so if Sperry sends us some lifestyle imagery, it will likely be on a yacht sure, or okay. uh, beach volleyball or, or something that is that oriented. Yep. We will take those shoes and put it on a person on a skateboard hmm. in, in a city, in, a, in an alley with hard space. Just to country. Uh, now we, it might include sand, but but so okay. the, the, I'm, I'm giving examples to contrast. That's the brand through the journey's lens. So Sperry's will allow you to do that. They don't keep you sort of within stricter brand guidelines and say no. This is this is how we need you to represent our brand. You can sort of if you're selling a, enough of shoes, you can kind of do whatever you want with them. Yeah, that's where it becomes a little bit of both. Mm. It's it's their brand through our lens. Because mm -hmm. we're selling to our core customer. Mm -hmm. We're selling their core product to our core customer. And Journey's core customer is? Um, kind of like the, the fringe kid, you know, the, the teenage to 21, 22, high school misfit. Um, mm. I mean, mo uh, most teenagers are rebellious. Mm -hmm. I was. Yeah. Still am to an extent. Yep. Um, you know, they're, they've got dyed hair, mm -hmm. they're pick your orientation, pick your gender fluidity. It's just like the, I don't want to say misfits cause that can be pejorative, but they're, they're not necessarily going to star in high school musical. Sure. They're, yeah. they're going to be sure. the kids that the, the athletes necessarily make fun of or, or whatever. And I'm being like grossly stereotypical, but, right. but that's, that's kind of our yep. core. Okay, so how do you know whether the, it should be the shoe only, uh, knee down, or full-on model shot? That's where we have a really crack marketing and creative team that sends down those um, directives. Okay, okay. Yeah. And if, you're, if you get a directive that says shoe only, but you just, man, it's like, we need knee down on this. Is that something you would speak up about? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. And what might that be? Is it just a intuition or how would you know if this is the right shot for what you're trying to accomplish? Part intuition, part based on just market research and com competitive analysis that I do. And um, like my wife literally was shopping for shoes for, a brand, for brands that we don't carry. Last night, she was like, man, I would really like to see the, a picture of this shoe I'm looking at like on a foot. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. She's yep. like that. That's the decision I'm actually like. Oh, that's right. I remember you telling me about that. Mm -hmm. um, she really wanted to see what it looked like on, even if it was someone else's foot, not on a mannequin, because that literally is fake. Mm -hmm. But she's like, man, I'm looking for like, can they put some user generated content in there? Can they plug in some Instagram feed that shows this shoe? <laughs> like, I want to see it on a person. Yes. Uh, and the one she found, they were out of the color. They no longer carried it. It was a photo on their website that was out of stock 
didn't have the style or the color. And she's like, man, this is so frustrating. I just want to buy a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would, does that depend on the demographic in general? Because I feel like I would much rather see shoes on a person as opposed to just seeing a picture of the shoes. Does this just depend on the person? Like I'm uh, trying to think of an example I mean, it, where it's it, better just to have a picture of the shoes as opposed to being on someone and it's like there's not a good reason immediately coming to mind except that on the checkout process or on your webpage, of course, you're going to have at some point, you're going to have pictures of just the shoes, right? I mean, it'd yes. be too much to have right. a picture on a person every single time. Right, exactly. Okay. So do you go to picture on a person for like some of the best sellers or some of the sort of the ones you're trying to push more or? Yes, to both. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And when that happens, is it always in studio or do you go out? Kind of out, out and about. Um, more in studio, uh, simply from just managing time. Mm -hmm. um, but occasionally we'll do some like green screen, and then you add no, in a background white. later. No, on white, just on a white sweep. Oh, uh, okay. And then you can add in a school in the background, a skate park, if whatever you want. If it didn't look fake, then yes. But a lot of times that ends up looking fake unless you're shooting. It's called a shoot and strip, where you shoot in studio replicate the lighting of the background you're going into to make it look like you were shooting on green screen or, or in that area. That's a shooting mm. strip Th that can be done. Mm -hmm. Super time consuming on a per shoe basis. Mm -hmm. We deal with thousands of shoes a year. So we have more of an assembly line streamlined process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you go on location, you could shoot, say, 10, 12 and a half a day, you're dealing with models. And if you're moving from location to location, to location, you're spending a lot, you're burning a lot of time yeah. changing scenery, mm -hmm. which would be great for a boutique shoe designer who has mm -hmm. a, you know, their spring line is 12 shoes. Awesome. Go spend the entire day doing that. Yeah. But when we're shooting hundreds of shoes a day, thousands of shoes a year, you have to streamline and systematize. Will you actually shoot like over a hundred shoes in a day? Dude, that's so many. Wow. And is that because you're constantly having like different, so like Sperry's, for example, they're constantly releasing new designs, new styles, spring, summer, fall, all of this. Is that why? And you got to take pictures of all the new stuff that's coming down the pike. Yep. We work is months that? ahead. Okay. Um, and, you know, each, each vendor is going to have not, okay, so here's the whole line they offer. We buy, say, this much or maybe this much. Mm. Um, and then, then the buying team says, here's what our buy is from this brand for this quarter. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to hit in these months. Mm -hmm. and you start just dissecting. Okay, we're going to get you these first. Those are hotter. We're going to get you these next. Those are medium. And then if we give you these now, you can wait to shoot them until these are done because they're not as hot as mm -hmm. those. And it's just becomes this big shell game. Yeah. Rob mentioned, I mean, this is no secret, but, but in the last couple of years, how, you know, things are shifting with people going to malls mm -hmm. and Journeys is in a crud ton of malls. I mean, I yep. forget that. I mean, you, I don't know if you know the number, I forget, but it was so many at one point, mm -hmm. so many. And like in even the country, it's like, it's ridiculous, the stores you guys have. Yeah. And, uh, but... I but, basically say, yeah, you know, I work for, you know, journey shoe stores. They're basically in every mall. <laughs> no, they base, they <laughs> yeah. really are yeah. in like around the world. And, um, but malls are taking a hit. So are you picking that 
up in e-commerce or yes. what are you guys doing to we're picking it up change in e-commerce. It? okay and is that sort of the model going forward you're going to stay in the stores that make sense come out of the stores that don't and try to pick up the difference with e-commerce or how are you yes, guys going that, about yeah, that that's the plan okay and uh, now i'm i'm not on the stores team mm-hmm. i'm on, i literally am on the e-com team mm. so that oh, is okay. my primary focus so is the stores I want team the stores to win because yep. we all play on the same team mm-hmm. but i really want the e-com team to win. okay gotcha so does the stores <laughs> team have its own photography no we, we're the service bureau for them okay yeah all right because all the images that my team makes goes to the, like the obviously it goes on the online you can buy the customer can buy from those mm-hmm. but it also goes into our point of sale system so if you're at a store then they can pull up if they don't have the size or color you want mm-hmm. they can say let me check our stock and then our point of sale system they can turn the screen around same photos mm-hmm. same everything um, so we we serve our customers both in stores and online. Mm-hmm. I just happen to work primarily for the online. Okay, department. but we serve the stores. Yeah, makes sense. So what what are the things that you know in your head that need to be true for these pictures to convey properly what you're wanting them to convey about the shoe or about the brand or about the user appealing to a demographic? I mean, you know it. I mean, by, and you're selling, by the way. I mean, I know you're saying, you know, I know, I don't know what you're saying. Like, you would make a very bad used car salesman, you oh, know. Very so much would so. I. But, but also, great marketers are the ultimate salespeople, you know. So you're selling, but like, what what are the things that you kind of have in your head that need to be true for you to feel good about a photo shoot? You know what I mean? Like, I do. Yeah. What is that? What makes it good? What makes a good photo? Of shoes. A good photo of shoes is uh, it's color accurate. Mm. For example, uh, if it's a red tone, think red to hot pink, even burgundy to hot pink somewhere in there. The cameras we have have a little bit of trouble with those color tones. So the in-lens image needs to be like when, when my team shoots it, they know, okay, hold on, leave the, the shoe on the table because what the camera delivered is not necessarily that shade of red. Let me adjust to that shade of red before I go on any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we don't want to have happen is get an email from a customer saying, hey, I bought this shoe online, uh, but it looks completely different than the one I got in a box. Yeah, That doesn't make for a a good customer experience makes sense so rule number one do no harm basically yes like let's not take a picture that misrepresents what they're actually going to get yes okay um that also means that the whole shoe needs to be in focus Mm. so even if they're on mobile and they zoom in i want them to be able to see from toe to heel that's in focus Mm -hmm. that in photography speak is depth of field Mm -hmm. um so we we use strobe lights just to i mean just blasting it with light so that can happen if it's a super shallow depth of field then the the toe or somewhere along the the shoe would be in focus but depending on where your focal point is before or after that would not be Mm -hmm. you want that in a fine art photo because it's mysterious and it's cool like you want the depth of of feel a a little bit of blurry at one side but yeah right yes okay yes but that is impractical when you're presenting a product, Mm -hmm. even if it's an art shot for a full page ad in W magazine, 
unless you're wanting to be mysterious about what this shoe design is, make sure the whole shoe is in focus. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like this is a common thing that you're having to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> there, there. We, tell your we occasionally will uh, use assets like tabletop assets provided by vendors. And when I wrote out, okay, here's our specifications, it was like a one-pager originally until I got back some images that were like lit with video lights, which is a small trickle of light instead of a blam of mm -hmm. light. Um, and, and I literally got, I, you know, please be sure that the shoe is in focus from toe to heel you might need to shoot at this f-stop, at this shutter speed, at this. I, I mean, I, I like in order to make this consistent. Let me define the bullseye for you. Yeah. So now you're the guy who's giving people a round hole and yes. saying you can work with us, <laughs> well, like, but exactly. here you go. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> You've come exactly. full circle on I that. Have come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you realize that or not, but it seemed yes. apparent to me as you were um, talking about. But but I, I <laughs> but you know what works. I get it now. Yeah. And here I am back in a publicly traded corporation, mm -hmm. but I'm not that same person that I was then. Right. I had to go through my paces and go. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. What else are you, what else are you making sure that's true about these pictures? Um, that they represent that, that what we're showing is through the journey's lens um, and representing the brand. Like when we shoot on location, um, we have to think about, okay, so we, this is spring now. So we're going to soon going to be shooting fall mm -hmm. and winter. Whereas three, four months ago, in the fall and winter, we're shooting spring and summer. Mm -hmm. So now we can't shoot on grass mm. because six months from now, that grass will be brown mm -hmm. and vice versa. If we're in a parking lot or somewhere, we're looking, are there any brown leaves? If there are, just brush them out of the way because yes, it's fall now, but we're shooting for spring. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just that kind of stuff. There, there yeah. are so many nuances. You're thinking through when this picture is going to be viewed and what that user is going to be experiencing in their life at the time they view that picture and trying to create that six months prior. Yes. Yeah. Which is also very good marketing. It's thinking about, you know, what is the frame of mind I mean, should I think about that on this podcast, you know, with um, if I record an intro that's not going to come out for, well, first of all, I try to record the intros as close to the release date as possible because mm -hmm. sometimes we'll have a conversation that doesn't get released for a few weeks. Right. Um, and it's easy to think in terms of like what you have going on or what you want to say, but like good marketing thinks in terms of who's hearing this, what's going on in their life, what do they want to hear, what do they need to hear to, to, to like move to them to it? action, when are yes. they going to hear it, all of those things, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a fascinating. Yeah, so it's, a it's, fascinating, it's uh, not so much. Uh, there's two different approaches to product photography and commercial photography, to than than fine art, which is mm -hmm. this can be whatever I want it to be. Yeah, but when you're shooting for someone, for a company, for a purpose other than this is what I want it to be, mm -hmm. it has to be something it needs to be. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Okay. So back to people can look at your work at Gregory Byerline. Is it dot com? It's What's Gregory. Uh, my freelance work is at Gregory Byerline photo dot com. Gregory Byerline 
photo. B-Y-E-R line. Yes. Photo.com. And okay. And and the website, I mean, it's, so my understanding was you're still doing a lot of freelance work, but it sounds like you're doing it as it comes to you. Yes. So you're open to it, but you're not pushing it. Yes. Your main gig, the thing you're focused on is your work at Journeys. Yes. Has been for some time. Yes. Since okay. 20, I'm going, I'm in year nine. So 20. Oh, okay. So 12. most of the pictures are on your website or from like 2012 or 13 or whatever. Um, or in that time window when I choose, choose to. Gotcha. So, okay. Gotcha. What's been like, what has been a more recent photo shoot that you've done freelance? Uh, bridal, like how long ago? Uh, bridal portrait. Well, okay. A shoot that I would, of course that assumes that I have actually kept my website updated. Um, what is the most recent photo on my website? Is that what you're asking? No, no, no. Just how recent have you done a job? Um, I chose to do a job, um, about a year and a half ago. Okay. All right. It was for this former Thomas Nelson colleague. Mm. This is one of the other many times I've photographed her. Um, she's the head of a PR firm and asked me to photograph her team. Uh, I'm like, yeah, for you, I will. Yeah. Took a half day off work, booked studio, knocked it out, went back to work. You mentioned heyday of wedding photography. To me, I don't know anything about this industry. It seemed to me that wedding photography and video is a very flooded space in the market. Yes. Is that accurate? Very accurate. Okay. That's what it, so it seemed like. Yes. But is there still space for people to rise above if they're really good? I don't know. Okay. So you're not in I, it that, that much. I don't watch it anymore. Yeah. Okay. Now, when I came in, <clears throat> there were professional photographers here in town who literally were, there are camera brands who will certify you you are a certified professional photographer, almost, almost uh, like now they would be ambassadors or influencers. Oh, okay. Like Canon or whoever for, would for be like, Canon you're a certified or, photographer. Or Nikon or, okay. or pick a camera company. Um, I came in with peer, I want to call them peers, competitors, because I, I don't want to say peers because I was not on their level. They were far above where I was. Um, I came in with my self-taught but mentored digital photography approach. Um, I, I was taught what you can be taught for mm -hmm. photography, but I also possessed what you can't be taught. Yeah. Does it make yeah, sense? No, it does make sense. Okay. So I, I had... And not everyone possesses that. Even correct. has that. Yes. Right. Yeah. They know how to use their camera. Yeah. But... A photographer does not make. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes total Knowing sense. Knowing how to use a camera makes you a camera operator. Yeah, but there's some people out there that haven't like been told that yet, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, a professional photographer, and I know some who do this, could take an iPhone and make a professional-looking image. Mm -hmm. An amateur can take a pro camera and make an amateur image. Yeah. Okay. Is really what I'm getting at. I could totally see that. So when I came into the wedding market, it was, I was one who came in, I was one of those self-taught photographers. And I'm, I'm sad to say I, my success pushed out some of the senior, more skilled shooters. Why are you sad to say that? Um, 
it's capitalism as its finest, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but, and, and I say that because they, like I have, have moved on to something else. Mm. So, so there's this, it's almost like there's a, a flavor of the decade. Okay. Or, or half a, or half a decade. Every five years, there's a new crop of, of somebody. Um, I got into photography in my mid-30s. I did a mid-30s massive career shift. At some point, a 21, 22-year-old bride, now granted, they're aging older now, but at some point, that young girl's not going to want this mm. frosty dude photographing her wedding. Oh, okay. They're going to want a young older 20 something female. Oh, okay. So there's that dynamic. That makes also. sense. Yeah. Um, there are going to be exceptions and people are going to hear this. And there's going to be some yeah, buts and there always are some yeah, buts, mm -hmm. but that was my experience. Um, and these, these older gentlemen, they had, they happen to be gentlemen with a handful of ladies, but most of them were guys. Um, they, we, at some point we all just aged out. Mm. So if you're, if you have all your eggs in the wedding basket and again, some people just came to mind and they've been doing it since I left and they're still thriving and they're making it happen. They're the outliers. Mm. The common is you're in for four or five years, your life changes or your business doesn't grow or you didn't grow your business or whatever. And you, you, you dip in, you dip out. Mm -hmm. There's the outliers who, who are still in it. Um, I just, I didn't stay in it. I ended up hiring a consultant to help me rebrand because uh, I was shooting everything. I was trying to be the photographer. Like if you called, yes, I can do that. Mm. And if I didn't know how to do it, I would learn it and then I'd go do it mm -hmm. for that person, which is cool from a skill development standpoint. Mm -hmm. and, and I built a business that sustained us for a while. I freaking fried. Oh, I burnt out. I was trying to be so many different things to so many different people that I didn't know who I was or who my brand identity was. Mm. So I hired a consultant to help me go from here to here. When was that? Post 2012 or pre? This is pre. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. 2010. This is when you're maybe in 2011. The, yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm at burnout stage. And if I'm going to stay in this, I, I want to carve a niche for this is what I do. Yeah. Um, if you, I wanted to be the first one thought of if someone said, Hey, I want this kind of photo. So I hired a consultant and he did that. It was, it was amazing. I, I, I mean, he, re, he took me back to business school and I learned every, relearned everything about marketing and focus. Because mm -hmm. if you're all things to everybody, you're nothing to anybody, everybody, whatever yep. that yep. saying is. Yep. So I went from, my website went from gregorybyerland.com on which you would find a pretty bouquet from a flower that I, uh, wedding that I second shot. You'd see portraits of dogs. You would see some interiors photographs. You'd see nature. You'd see the dew drops on the flower. Mm. You would see the shallow depth of field with this, that, or the other. You would see food photography. You would like see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. He took me from that to GregoryByerlandPhoto.com, which was only bridal portraits. Mm. 
What was it? I wanted to ask you. It, it seemed to me, based on your Facebook or somewhere, it seemed like when you were doing this, at some point you did arrive at honing in on bridal portraits. Yes. And was it bridal portraits even even more? So it was bridal portraits, not I'm going to be your wedding photographer? Like It, it came to that, yes. Okay. So yes. like if you wanted someone to be around and take pictures of the wedding, that's you might have done that too, but your niche was even, you know, more narrow than that, which was bridal portraits. Yes. Okay. Yes. Are they getting dressed up in all their stuff? Well, I'm sure not, right? They're taking the these bridal portraits on their wedding day? Nope. Oh, they are not. There's the magic. Oh, okay. There's the magic. Gotcha. <clears throat> their bridal portrait session is 100% about them. I see. That makes sense. They're not sharing the day with anybody. Okay. It's their session. All about them. Usually within two weeks of the wedding or? Um, two to four months before. A lot of it depended on the arrival of their dress. Yeah. So it's, well, okay, usually like six to eight weeks was the most common. Okay. Because by then they have it. They'll take it from the shop. And I even explained it like, this is an extended try on of your dress. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in it for hour and a half, two hours. I've had brides shoot a bridal portrait in one dress, change their dress because the, it, something wasn't right about it, and they would get married in a different one. And without that experience, they would have got married in the first dress. Yes, and they would oh, have been uncomfortable because it poked them in the ribs all day. Oh, long, wow. Which could make for an irritable bride. So, yeah. I mean, there's many angles to it. Um, but what I, what I sold them as is... And I'm going to use the term fight, but I, I want, I want their grandkids to fight over the print that's been hanging in their house for all these years. That was your sort of internal goal? Yes. In, that's a high bar. Yes. In order to have that moment 50 years from now, you have got to do the portrait now because you're in your prime of life. You have put your most time and effort into you mm -hmm. so you can fit into the dress that you've dreamed about your entire life. Of all moments in your life when you can be, this is about me, and I want to encapsulate you into a time capsule of, there's a frame. Mm -hmm. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And even telling the story, I haven't shot a bridal portrait in probably four or five years. I am so ready to go do one. I can tell. I love this. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, because Is that why you love it? What do you love so much about it? Because one of my favorite photographs of my wife is the bridal portrait made by the guy who became my photography mentor. Oh, that's cool. One of your favorite photos of all time of your wife? Yes. It's her, it's her bridal portrait. It's yeah. hanging in my mother-in-law's house. I go there. I linger at that photo. Dude, I'm almost getting choked up this, right now listening to you, bro. Is, uh, Seriously. It's my girl. Yeah. It was awesome. Hmm. And now I, I should say, I want to give props to my photography mentor. His name is Alan Clark. Uh, I, he's from Hendersonville originally, so I met him here. And the reason I met him is because he shot our wedding. The reason he shot our wedding is because even though I wasn't a photographer... Then I didn't want a wedding photographer to shoot my wedding. Mm -hmm. 
Alan Clark shoots weddings, but he's not a wedding photographer. He was recommended to me because he's a commercial and he's a musician photographer. He's an mm. artistic photographer. I wanted that eye for my wedding day. Yeah. And he made this, it, it, it's simple and it's traditional, but it's still my, one of my favorite photos of my wife. And of all the photos on our, of our wedding day, which, I mean, he did the reception, he did the cake, he did, I call it the Kennedy shot when you're walking up the aisle after the ceremony's over and everybody's like, yay, all that stuff. Amazing Kennedy shot of Megan and me. Um, but if I narrowed it down to two frames, it was what we did between the ceremony and the reception when it was the two of us, him and the guy holding the reflector. Mm, mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing. And, and I'm like, this is why I hired this guy. So we, we parted ways and then our paths crossed again at church one day, struck up conversation. And then fast forward to, he becomes one of my mentors. Wow. Um, yeah. So loop back to, he, he's really responsible for my love of bridal portraits because he completely shot my girl. Mm -hmm. When I saw the photo, I'm like, that's her. Mm -hmm. That is exactly her. It wasn't someone other than her. It wasn't someone almost her. It was her. And I remember what that felt like as a groom to see that. And I want to give that to my groom clients. Mm-hmm. So I have to get to their girls mm -hmm. <laughs> and tell them the story. Yeah. Kind of see where that yep. goes. Yep. Now, the downside to that is if this were New York, I would probably still be doing bridal portraits because they're not cheap. They're not inexpensive. And bridal portraits has been can be known as a southern thing but it's usually okay take 30 minutes on your wedding day and go do this i'm like no 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 no. that's not the experience i want for you mm -hmm. i want you dear one to be put on a pedestal i want you to have the supermodel treatment as a commercial photographer i'm going to bring my fashion and commercial photography skills to you mm -hmm. jane every day fabulous jane every day Let's encapsulate you into the shoot that your grandkids could fight over or that you would see in when you're flipping through a bridal magazine because mm -hmm. that's what's in their head. But they're like, well, I don't, I'll never have a photo. I'm like, well, why not hire the right photographer? Yeah. Is that, is that true? What you just said? Because I was looking at some of your pictures online of your bridal portraits and they look like they could all be like models basically. So is it, that because you on, only pick on my website, there's a combination of models and brides, regular brides. Yes. So do Can you, you tell me who's who I probably couldn't mission accomplished. Yeah. So you feel like you had or still have the ability to take an average Jane Doe and make her look like a model with the right setting, the right mojo, yes, the right cameras, the right lighting. That. Uh, she has to want that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And be I'm willing not going to force it on her, you know, because, because, and honestly, my wife, she's married to a photographer, does not want her picture made. Hmm. And that's okay because she's still my girl. Right. Yeah. Why aren't you doing more? Because I can tell you're still passionate about it. Um, the reason I'm not doing more is because by focusing from this to this, this dried up. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. I made the right decision by hiring this consultant and, and I won't, I won't begrudge that at all. It was the right thing to do. I was not able to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are you looking for when it comes to these bridal portraits? You're looking to represent almost, almost like the shoes. Like you're looking, first of all, you're looking to do no harm with the shoe and actually represent the prop, the shoe in its proper color, right? Yep. So with a bridal portrait, you're looking to represent their personality, who they are as a person, yep. all of the above. And you're not, you're not having these kind of templated poses where you are kind of forcing them to become someone who they're not and just take a good picture, but you're trying to represent who they are as a person. Yes. Is that sort of the ultimate? I'm trying to show them <clears throat> who I see them to be, who I understand them to be, mm-hmm. which a lot of times is higher than what they might think of themselves. Oh, wow. Hmm. How do you know who they are? How much contact have you had with them up until this point? Um, do they fill out a questionnaire? By or, the, by the, well, we, we start with that just because that gives me some little conversational threads to start pulling. But by the time we get to Bridal Portrait Day, we've, um, and this was long before Zoom uh, was as common as as it is today, but we would have had at least one, definitely two, sometimes three cups of coffee or just, or or phone calls. Um, I want to get to know them. Oh, wow. Because what I don't want to do is get on set and have something that triggers them that can shut it down in a heartbeat. So that it, would, it was really a, like a relationship building because if, if I'm going to put a genie in a bottle, I need to know what, what that genie, and, and by that, I mean the time, this time capsule, because mm-hmm. uh, really, I mean, it's a, it's a split second that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I might take several, actually, I do take several split seconds, but there's one, there's a decisive moment. There it is. And you can tell. And I can tell. Later, when you're looking through the pictures, you can just tell which is which is going to be the one. Yep. That's fascinating. It's like, man, you know, they we talk about like how advanced AI is and stuff like that. But when you still, when you take what like the best computers have to offer and put it against like that, we're so further advanced. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't really teach that, really. Yeah. I mean, can you? I mean, you just you either have it or you don't. I think there, there definitely is an element of you either have it to some level or you don't. Uh, you can be taught the craft of photography, mm-hmm. the how. I don't think you can teach the why. I think you can have a mentor or a professor or a school teacher who can help you identify the why. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they can give you your why. Mm-hmm. You have to own sense. your why. Yeah. If someone is listening and, and they're like, well, geez, I'm about to get married. And that guy sounds pretty great. I think I might need to have him do my bridal um, portrait. What's your price range for that? They're going for, you know, twelve fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 a session. Okay. And it's a two or three hour session. Mm-hmm. Well, that's seems reasonable. I would have thought you might have said more than that. Well, I, I, w- I was heading in that direction before it all dried up. Dried up. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't necessarily need that to feed my family. Right. So I don't want to set the bar so high yeah. that nobody jumps over it. That's right. But I want to set it high enough that they're 
um, they value it, mm -hmm. that they're willing to part with X number of dollars for this experience, for the end result that 50 years from now their grandkids could fight over. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. If I had that level of bridal portrait of Mariana 15 years ago, that would have been the best twelve to $1,500 I could have spent. I would agree. I could see where it's something that you you keep around and pass it down from generation to generation. Um, is there something about brides in particular that you seem to have sort of um, a resonance with, an understanding of that you could kind of make art with them? Or is it something about taking pictures of women that you have a, you can make art better? Or do you also take pictures of guys? Like what's the, is it, um, is the, is the kind of the niche, I guess, is it brides or is it women? Like, do you feel like you could take a really good portrait of a lady that's not about to get married? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And do you feel like you could take a better portrait of a lady than a dude? Yes. Huh. Why? Because generally speaking, guys, of course, and this is going to be an exception because we're in a very look at me city mm -hmm. where there's a lot of guy creatives who are like, yeah, I want to be on the billboard. Generally speaking, guys want to do the looking at instead of being looked at. And the converse is generally true. Mm. So you feel like your average uh, lady is going to have, they're already a step ahead on making true art because of their tendencies or there's something about that desire to be looked at, that sort of intangible that it, your average dude doesn't have and they're already a step behind. <clears throat> like, Here, Here's how I see the subject matter that we're talking about. Not to objectify said subject or to subject them, but this topic of conversation. Creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Day two, day three, day four, day five, dude. Nah, not quite done. <laughs> yeah. This is cool. This is you're, good. You're totally right, man. By this the way, I totally good. agree. But it's not quite done. Yeah. Hold on, Adam. Day six. Chills, dude. Mm -hmm. Here comes Eve. I'm done. Uh-huh. To me, in the creator's eye, women are the pinnacle of creation. He stopped. Yeah. That's still okay to say in 2021. Yeah. Yes. My entire body of work yeah. is good. Mm -hmm. And I finished it with Eve. Yeah. So that's what you're trying to capture. Exactly. The pinnacle of creation. Yes. Dude, yeah, I see it, man. Yeah. I love that. And, I, and there's a fine line between celebrating that, elevating it, 
and objectifying it. Mm-hmm. There is. And I think that is something that a lot of women who believe in this creator God are working through. That Tell me more. Embracing their femininity without overextending it. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing those conversations. I don't know. Maybe it's just a product of my own environment. But what you said rings true. Um, and if they are the pinnacle of creation, there is something there that shouldn't be brushed aside, shouldn't be stepped over, looked over, you know, but there, it can also... Put in a corner. Exactly. Subjugated. Yes. Most, ignored. Yeah, most certainly. Yes. It can be stamped out and, and sort of have violence done to the good of creation. The best it of can creation. Al- yeah, it can also be <laughs> over-glorified, right? Or, yes. Or sensualized or all of these things. Idolized. Idolized, yeah, yeah. So there is that, there is that dance. I mean, I, I, I always hate to use the word balance, so I don't even see it as balance. I just see it as like getting it right, you know? You can get it wrong on either end, on either side, but you want to get it, yeah. Yes. That is fascinating. I didn't know we would go there with this conversation. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. Now, back in the heyday of wedding photography, the next thing that wedding photographers got into, because you got to, you know, you got to work on Monday through Friday also. You can't work mm-hmm. every Saturday. Um, is there was, a, there was a rise in boudoir photography. Boudoir is the French word for bedroom. So... Unless you were living under a rock 10 years ago, everybody and their dog was getting boudoir photos made. Or, actually, correction, every photographer and everyone else was saying, yeah, I'm a boudoir photographer, I'm a boudoir photographer. Basically, they just were shooting women in their underwear. Say again what boudoir means. Boudoir is the French word for bedroom. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I considered it for a while. Like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Everybody else, I mean, I see what everybody else was doing, and I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Then as I was working through this pinnacle of creation thing, I was like, you know what? I do want to do this. And here's why. Again, Adam, day five. Eh. We have Eve. Okay. We know what Eve looks like and how she differs from Adam. This is where, and and we have my approach to bridal photography. And then I created a line of intimate portraits that I I made up a word. It's called bellintima. It's a made up Italian words for intimate beauty. Mm. But I didn't want to be, I didn't want to make, um, glamour photography, which most people don't know that that's the genre of Playboy. Mm. Like swimsuit photography, um, nudes and Playboy and all the other skin rags, that is considered glamour photography. Just there's pet photography, there's architecture, there's headshot photography, there's glamour photography. It's mm. a genre. I wanted to do that in a very fine art sort of way that wasn't exploitative, it wasn't degrading, and it wasn't all of the the snares that we as men fall into. 
it wasn't the the dark side, the underbelly of this idolizing mm-hmm. this pinnacle of creation. I wanted to elevate her on another platform. Bridal portraits are a public platform. I wanted to elevate her on a private platform. So I created this line of boudoir photography that I call Belintima intimate portraits. And they were black and white, low light, super shallow depth of field where it's just a little more um, artistic. Mm. I'm not shooting a shoe or a person. Mm -hmm. I'm shooting parts of a person. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Or I'm shooting, you know, large sections of, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's blurry. Mm -hmm. Um, There's motion blur there. There it's, I broke all the photography rules, all of the standard photography rules that I knew at the time. I'm like, screw it. A lot of times I would like the light in the studio would be a light bulb, like that lamp. Really? Yes. Wow. I wouldn't use these. Okay. I wouldn't sure. use strobes. Yep. And if I did use strobes, they were like, Brr. hey, I need, would you, do you like to dance? Oh, I love to dance. Awesome. Would you just move? Mm. And in one frame, you've got that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was exploratory, but it was still, in my mind, God's honest truth. My intentions were pure. My mind, it was eleva- elevating and celebratory. Mm-hmm. There's a f- super fine line between celebrating and objectification, mm-hmm. and it's like razor thin. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, How was that? Was that weird? Um. My wife didn't totally get on board mm-hmm. like I thought she had. I Actually, I think she did. Um, and then became less comfortable with it as it went on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to make sure she knew. Like when I was creating this whole concept, I, I would say like, here's what I'm thinking. Or I would be looking through... Um, a photography book and I'd come across Lillian Bassman. Um, if you're not familiar with her, oh my God, look her up. So good. She was a, a contemporary of Richard Avedon and um, Irving Penn in New York. Um, but she was the girl, so they got all the credit. So she would she would work with the, the models that she would photograph for Vanity Fair. She would like call them into her studio like at night and they just make art. Mm. Um, but when I came across her work, I'm like, oh, that's what I've been envisioning. And I could mm-hmm. then go, hey, baby, this is a really good example of what I have in mind. Would you be okay with something like this? Oh, okay. You start to run the projects by your wife? Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah, she's my girl. Okay. Uh, equals, there's not a subjugation. It's not my way or the highway. It's right. our way. We've been yep. married for 23 years. Yeah, congratulations. Um, almost in, in May. So pushing 23 years. Um, but when I came across her photography, I was able to give a visual of what mm-hmm. I had in my head. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I kind of get an idea of what you're going for. And, and, and I, I wanted to get her buy-in, genuine buy-in, not just, okay, fine, just do it. Um, so that, Lillian Bassman was my inspiration for this line of intimate portraits, which I still love. And some of them are on my uh, website in the intimate section. Um, 
the ones that gave me permission to show them publicly uh, sure. are on there. Mm-hmm. And um, if the frame showed their face on my mm-hmm. website, they're, they're cropped. Their oh, identities, okay. their identities hidden. Yep. Which, but that also gets to the fine art aspect of it because it could be anybody. Could be Eve. Could have been a photo mm-hmm. of Eve. It just happened mm-hmm. to be that particular person. Sunday school teacher. Stay at home mom. Like these normal everyday girls. But I was able to encapsulate them in this moment. So they kind of go hand in hand. But it it got to where my wife was no longer comfortable with that. Okay, note self. This could cause a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that super thin line. Some, and uh, it just became a tightrope that I didn't want to walk anymore. Okay. Um, I would feel totally fine showing them to my two daughters because they're presentable to children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was always a litmus test. Mm. Um, there are no photos I've made that I'm like, you know what, baby, you probably shouldn't look at this one. Right. Yeah, you I didn't, didn't want to go there. Be that. Yeah. Yep. Um, I didn't want to go there for them. I don't want to go there for me mm-hmm. either. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who, Pandora's who, box. who was asking for these photos? The ladies themselves or their husbands or boyfriends or? To be honest with you, the, um, it started out where I'm asking friends i'll be like here's my idea mm-hmm. in order to launch this brand i need to shoot this brand would you like if i did this shoot for you and then and gave you a print would you come sit for this session mm-hmm. and i did uh i did i photographed um i don't know five or six friends that way colleagues mm-hmm. friends um and then i was able to launch the brand i see and yeah. um and on that website, which is now down, I have the pinnacle of creation story on there. I, oh, really? I, I told the story oh, wow. to a writer. Okay. And she wrote it, and it was man, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was so good. Um, and it was a it was a female writer. It was a fellow church member. Um, I think we still go to the same church. We haven't been in the same building for over a year, so I don't mm-hmm. know if they moved on or not. <laughs> um, let Let's say that they're still there. Yeah. Um, Female perspective, writer, could like a wordsmith, mm-hmm. um, and a fellow believer. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're the you're the person for this. And she she sent me this text. I'm like, you got it, you yeah. nailed it. And it was short. It's like three paragraphs. I mean, it was, yeah, so good. Um, so I try to I try to build this brand, and I bet I sold four sessions. Okay. Again, I was trying to be so defined in what I do that it, I, I literally narrowed myself out of a, yeah, out of a job. Yep. Basically. What would you say now to someone who would say, dude, that's, that's parts of creation that only should be committed to memory. What would you say about that? Like, (laughs) don't be taking pictures like that. That's not an acceptable art form. I actually would, Give my full wholehearted agreement. Hmm. Hmm. So you feel differently about it now? I do. Oh, okay. About the intimate portrait one. Right. Broader portraits all day, every day, right. if I could. But but how about on the um, 
I want to say bourgeois, but that's not what you said. Bourgeois. Bourgeois. B-U-D-O-I-R. Okay. Boudoir. How about that category? Do you think that's still an acceptable category if the photographer is a lady? Or do you think that whole category of bourgeois photos just isn't something that should be done anymore? I think if the intentions are right and, and pure and wholesome, and by that I mean if they're elevating and celebratory and not subjugating and, and all that stuff, sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm not the shooter. Yeah, I could see that. I've, I've closed the door on that. That mm-hmm. particular chapter. Yeah, it makes sense. My girls are getting older. I'm definitely older. Um, I am, by social standards, in the demographic of some of the biggest sources of our social ills. Mm. I'm a middle-aged white guy. Mm-hmm. Put a camera in my hand? No. Yeah. I'm not going there. Okay. I can see the wisdom in that. I'm not going there. Yeah. Um Really what we're talking about is making art, and I wanted to ask you about that because yep. it seemed to me that art is a through theme or common theme or a through thread kind of in your life, and you are a creative person, but art seems like it seems like you're happiest when you are closest to art. Is that accurate? I'd say Whether that, it's yeah. photos or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Music? For visual art. Oh, my God. I love music. Yes. You're a big music guy. I knew yes. that. Yes. Music's art. So. Yes. What? What do you. But I would ahead. say like philosophy is also art. I don't disagree with that either. Yeah. So I, so I like deep thinkers too. Yeah. <clears throat> so. But if you're talking visual and performing arts, visual, auditory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much time you got. Yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Is that what it comes down to for you? Visual and auditory art? Is that the, is um, that the razor's edge? I would actually, yeah, I think so. Visual, okay. f- visual, primary, audible, secondary, uh, philosophical, tertiary. Okay. So what, do you, what would you say is the purpose of art? What's lost if someone stamps art out of their life or a group of people start to s- set art aside as dirty, dangerous, Ludicrous, you know, whatever the reasons are. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that? They have just amputated awe out of their life. Hmm. I would want to know what makes them, what wows them. If it's not art, what is it that makes them go O M G? What if the feeling of OMG or awe to them feels dirty and they feel like that needs to be saved for heaven and right now we're just trying to get through life? I would say then that they have bought into a lie of fundamentalism, rooted in fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. So you see art as mandatory for living the full human experience. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes. And what is it about art that's so compelling? I mean, the, the one thing that strikes me is, like, good art is more than the sum of its parts. Like, it communicates something that 
the different pieces of it just can't add, add the different pieces together and <clears throat> you're not getting the same message as looking at the whole thing, right? It's, it's more than the sum of its parts. It mm -hmm. speaks in almost a different language. It's almost like it speaks to our in eternality. Like you can show good art to a dog and they might look at it or whatever, but it doesn't, it doesn't, Sniff it, yeah, it, it, like, no, no, it, but it doesn't communicate to them. Right. But there's not a human on this planet that you can't put them in front of some sort of art and they don't feel some something. You know what I mean? I could name a few, but that. Those, but again, still, though, but st <laughs> well, it might be because it's so stamped down, it's so subjugated, it's so set aside, it's so viewed as dirty. And there's these years of habit, habitual ways of thinking that that's not something that should be done or it's not something that should be looked at or it's not something that should be enjoyed or experienced. But that's still in there. I mean, they're still human. So there's still yes. a resonance with art of some kind. I mean, the one thing that strikes me is that on some of your pictures, you know, you had a picture of like one of my favorite pictures I saw on your website was of a mountain with more mountains in the back and kind of a lake in the front. And you could just like, look at that picture. Like I it's so, I wish the listeners could see the smile on my face right now. Yeah. Continue. Cause you know what I'm like? It's so, it's so meaningful and powerful and all it is, is it's capturing God's art. That's all that was right. like, and it probably wasn't even truly fully captured, but it was captured pretty dang well. I'll say that. Thank you. And so there's something about that, the majesty, the beauty, it's got to have something to do with that thing in humans that we have that animals do not have. And one of those things is this, this connection to the eternal. I mean, you could be an atheist and you still can't really deny some of these differences between humans and animals. So I, I think those are a few things that come to, to my mind with like how art can speak to you. But what, what do you say? Like how, how would you define how art can say so much? Because... Art is a creative process, and we are created creatures that have been stamped with the thumbprint of the creator. So there is a divine connection between enjoying, understanding, consuming, internalizing, fully living with, exploring, discovering art that is a vertical pull as much as gravity is a downward pull. I think we're drawn to art because of that divine connection. So you think it is, you, you can't separate good art's impact from a divine connection. I can't. The artist may be totally atheist and may not, you know, believe in it, but, but if it's good art, whether they uh, agree with it or not, or believe in it or not, it's connected to the divine connection. I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I mean, the one art form we didn't talk about is food. And, um, you yeah. know, I, uh, I had, I think this only happened one time, but one time I put a certain food in my mouth at a certain restaurant and it brought me to tears. And I'm not an easy like crier. That. I mean, I've I gotten a, a, a lot better, yep. you know, on that front. But it was food, man. But there yep. was something about the whole experience, the way it tasted, the, the texture, the everything. Like, it was just so satisfying. 
like in some ways it had to be a foretaste of like the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know how else to really describe it. Yep. Because well, it wasn't just the taste that would make you cry. It had it had to be more than something more than yeah. That. So that mountain shot, you said. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I know exactly which one. Do you? It's Grinnell Point. It is on the east side of Glacier National Park. Remember, I told you we went to Montana. Yeah. Second day, we're in the park. As in, like we we drove into Grand, uh, Grand Rapids, Great Falls, arrived say four or five o'clock. So this is in June. So of like years ago. Yeah. You're new at the photography at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Um, getting back to the, I, I learned what I didn't know, but what was already there was already mm. there. So we, after our first night in Glacier National Park, we're like, we're going to go explore this park. Park. But remember, I took a camera, which to me was a real camera. I'm like, hey, baby, I'm just going to go down by this lake shore. I'm just, I'll be back in a little bit. She was probably hanging out on the front porch of the lodge, just chilling. I look, I'm like, ooh, that's a really cool, I like how this, oh, hold on. And I got down at the water's edge, and I took, I promise you, it's that frame. When I saw that on the back of the camera, I'm like, I can do this. Mm. I still have what I think I've lost. I just don't know how this camera works. The camera was on automatic. I, now, I've, I've digitally processed it and I've enhanced it a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I put the camera in that spot. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it on the... This is what I love about digital because it was instant feedback. Oh, okay. I'm like, I have what I thought I've lost. Mm -hmm. Now I need to learn how to use this camera. Which I is see. to say, I need to learn how to use this hammer or this table saw or this yeah. spatula or whatever. It's just a tool. Mm-hmm. That frame was when I got my photography mojo back. Ah, wow. That's I very promise cool. you. Wow. And that's the one you called out off my website. Yeah. I love that. I love it in color, and I really love it in black and white. I think I saw it in black and white. It probably was. So <clears throat> that even speaks to sort of the intangible or the unspoken or sort of the energy behind that picture, too. Because mm -hmm. it's hard to take that out, I feel like. Yep. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't, I don't know. This is the thing about art is you can't, you know, there's an energy to it. Yep. And there was obviously, I mean, you tell that story, there was obviously an energy behind that picture. And I, and it takes me back to that moment every time I see it. Or, I mean, I saw it in my mind's eye when you were talking about it and I, I had, I had chills. Mm -hmm. There was a divine moment for me that happened when I pressed the shutter where I had the camera at that time. Another divine moment coming back to the food that you were talking about. That night, same night, Glacier National Park, uh, East Lodge. I think it was the Lake Mary Lodge on the east side. Go to the lodge, have dinner. I'm looking at the re the uh, menu, recipe. Looking at the menu, and I see this thing for huckleberry pie. I'm like, what's a huckleberry? That's odd. And asked the server. She said, well, it's... It's a, it's a wildly grown berry. It's not commercially grown. Like the people who harvest it literally will hike up into the mountains. It's what bears eat. Wow. It's bear food. I ordered a slice of huckleberry pie, which literally was thin crust on the bottom, about inch and a quarter of 
huckleberry, mm. thin crust on. I mean, the most basic pie ever. It wasn't like two inches of meringue, yeah. whipped cream. It was a slice of pie. I scooped off the point of that pie. I put it in my mouth and instantly knew how people got addicted to crack. Ah. I had one of those divine food moments with the tip of huckleberry pie. Yeah. And it was magical. If if I went to the wad to the lodge, I could take you to the table we were sitting at. It was that impactful. Because of that memory of the huckleberry pie? Yes. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. Do you think then that art is the creator sprinkling the season on life? Like, I think, you know, we don't, you know, um, since we're being honest here, like, I think that way about sex, like, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't, I don't know we'd have to have it in the full experience that we do have. Like, there's other ways to procreate, right? There's other ways, but it's almost like, you know, sex in its proper form, you know, per the design of the creator, this, it's like a really worthwhile seasoning on life and i understand it's not available to everyone at every time like per the design of the creator right but life can be hard dude life can straight up suck sometimes often often (laughs) that's just yeah it, it is and there and but then you have this beautiful thing to enjoy that's like the seasoning over across like life i mean i've been married almost 15 years Congratulations. And hopefully that goes for many, another 15 or, you know, way more years. Um, But like, I kind of feel like, you know, if I were to die now or be married for another 15 years and die then, like I would have to say, man, one of the, one of the things that I'm really grateful for the creator is having to, that to enjoy throughout the period of good times and bad times. Accurate. Is art the same way? Is it kind of this this blessing from God, this seasoning on life, or is it a little bit different? And it's sort of like our breath that we need to breathe. Is it like a requirement for life? Like we wouldn't be able to get through life without art. Yes. And I would take that a step further and say, we wouldn't get through life without sex. Hmm. What about someone who is single for their life? I, that is a mystery to me. I literally would love to have a conversation with someone who has chosen, well, even if they haven't chosen, with someone who is celibate, because I, I don't get that. I literally, I genuinely don't understand it. No, but if, you know, God forbid your situation changed, you know, there is a design for sex, and so it's not available to everyone at all times. So there needs to be a category for getting through life without sex. Yes. Now you're saying you're having a hard time seeing your way through life without it, and I agree. Yes. But I would think that needs to be a little bit different category than art. By art, I just mean looking at the mountains as you drive past them or flying an airplane and looking out the window and seeing what you see, or music, like all of these other things, like... It seems like it needs to be in a different category. Would you disagree? No, I wouldn't disagree with that. Okay. I, mean, it, I think it's um, it would supersede all those other categories because 
Sex? That, yes. That would, oh, I would I, say I that is yeah, higher sure. no, I agree. than all the other things. Oh, I totally um, agree. Animals yeah. have sex to procreate. Mm-hmm. Humans have sex to, rec- to procreate. Humans also have sex to recreate. Yeah. Let's break down recreate. To recreate. Now, we've got procreation is, hey, mommy and daddy, where did the babies come from? Mm-hmm. We'll tell you later. That's an act of creation. But I think when you have that recreation, like, and it's two-sided recreation, Mm -hmm. it's not one person having a really great time and Mm -hmm. the other person like, oh my God, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. That's not recreation. Mm -hmm. That's abuse. Yep. But when there's that intimate interaction and it's recreation, simply... I almost gave you something to edit. <laughs> <laughs> we don't edit, so you'd be stuck with it, bro. Uh, no, I, my kids will hear this sometimes. Yeah. Um, when it, when we're, we're, we're recreating, there's mm-hmm. a divine moment there. Yeah. I 100% agree. And that's by design, and it's beautiful. And I think that's... And it's good. And it is good. <laughs> and that, I think, is what so much of society is missing. And look, we all make mistakes, but... That's the violence that gets done by misuse of sex, whether it's outside of marriage and you're just sleeping around, whether it's a pornography addiction, whatever it may be. There's tons of misuses of sex. I mean, you have a podcast. You produce a podcast for Slavery Tennessee, right? right. So massive misuse of it. Massive. Um, And that's what I I see is like the violence that's being done because you're doing violence to like one of the best things you can experience in the proper form per the designer's creator, but you can you can you can damage that experience. Not to say you can't have healing and restoration and a full enjoyment of that experience going forward, because thankfully, you know, nothing's beyond redemption, right? I mean, right. thank God. Um not yet. <laughs> yeah. But there's still time. Yeah. But 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 that's I think you're speaking to the violence that can be done to such a beautiful thing when you misuse it. Yes. Because it is such a good thing. It is such a good gift. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, I, and I would say on, on an earthly human level, you know, aside from the soul redemption of salvation, I would, I would say that's like, if that's gift number one, then what we're talking about, gift number two. I agree. Yeah. I wonder how this is being perceived from like, someone who, who, um, like I just had Peter Valk on who is a believer and dude's theologically robust and he's legit. He's also openly gay, but he believes that, uh, that would be inappropriate to act on that because sex is for marriage and marriage is for a man and a woman. So he's choosing to go through life as celibate. I'm just kind of curious, like how this, what we're saying, it's true. I wonder how like that is heard from someone who has chosen to go through life celibate. You know yeah, what I mean? Do I, they, I would I would love to know that yeah. perspective also. Do they does this cause like an unrest in them? We're like, oh man, they're talking about something that I don't experience and not planning to experience. Uh, and and it sort of causes like an unrest. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's or, a fair question. Or is it like it's a very empathic? Or, question. or could it be like I don't know? Is it is it like um, if someone were to visit 
Italy and they're like, dude, this is so awesome. And I hear that and I'm like, ah, that's fine. But I, I'd rather go to Japan. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, is it, I don't know. I don't know how that's yeah. it's perceived. I, I, I wouldn't know where to categorize that either. Um, although there are, you know, you brought up Italy and I've, I've been there. It's, it's a pretty magical place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never been to Japan. Um, and I'm sure it's a magical place in its own right. I just, yeah. I'm not. I'm not necessarily. How old are you? I am fifty. Okay. Does sex peak in your thirties? No. Does it peak in your forties? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, since I got you here and got you talking, I'm just curious. I'm 36 and it hasn't peaked yet. So good. Good for you. Yeah. Um. Back to. Well, let me ask you about music. Okay. You know, I don't, I don't, no, I know. There's nothing that moves me. I mean, sex aside, <laughs> there's nothing that, that moves me like music does. Not food, although I, I love really good food. Um, not art. I mean, you know, I just don't have enough experience there with like viewing like paintings or like that type mm-hmm. of art. Um, I will say this though, being in like, in Colorado or someplace where like there's the magic, like the, that picture you took, that was in Montana, right? That, yeah. that, that wasn't in, that was not in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like being in a place like that. Yeah. That's pretty compelling to me. Like the, a lot of soul work gets done very quickly for me when I'm in the nature, in nature like that. So like nature, nature is way, way, way up there for me with enjoying like art, I guess I would think of it. But but music probably is it's got to be probably number one. I mean, music is it can take you from like kind of like mind space A to or mind space say C to mind space A plus pretty quickly. What is it? Is, do you experience that too? How do you experience music? What is it that's so powerful and compelling about music? I mean, it's just it's just notes and it's just timing and it's just words all put together in just the right way. And when you put it together in just the right way, you can have a song that literally like survives decades and moves people decades later. Mm -hmm. There's something magical about that. That's hard to like, it's hard to duplicate with other things. There's something special about it. What is so special about music? Um, Let's talk instrumental music because that puts words and storytelling out of it. Okay. Sure. Okay, so Fair. like for example, um, you had just said like the song "American Pie." Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Yeah, people resonate that because it's a genius song, tells a story. Pretty much same dynamic. What changes is the story from verse to verse. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't want to dwell on words because that's a layer of that's another layer of songwriting. I want to let's let's. Talk about this from the music side, the composer side, the composition side, the instrumental side. I think a difference between music as an art form and visual arts, whether it's photography or painting or sculpting, whatever, is you have the element of dynamic, dynamics. So an instrumental music can be Ride of the Valkyries. Uh, 21 uh, Space Odyssey, you know, or it can be a ballad. 
Is it a piano ballad? Is it a solo mandolin ballad? Is it a banjo ballad? Because then you're getting into completely different fields. But there, there's, there's dynamics. Um, like take the instrument piano, for example. We call it a piano. Its official name is a pianoforte. The, the, like a lot of, I mean, it's called a piano. I forgot that. Piano. My piano teacher is, told me that when I was like 10. Is a dynamic. Piano is soft. Forte is loud. Yeah. A piano forte can do both. Sometimes at the same time. Um, so, so you've got that dynamic which tugs on your emotional strings. It's 9.30 at night and you've had a rough week and you're sipping a bourbon out of a tulip glass and you're smoking a cigar. What are you going to put on? Ride of the Valkyries? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Unless you're planning on storming the castle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to put on something that's chill, mm-hmm. relaxing. Um, you know, a, a Bach cello concerto. Something mm-hmm. that's because it has dynamics. If you're doing, uh, I'm a trail runner, but if you're a CrossFit or whatever, and you're like, I've got to get this workout done, I'm going to surge this hill, you're probably not going to listen to mm-hmm. the Brandenburg Concertos. You're going to listen to a Ride of the Valkyries or a John Williams Star Wars theme or the Superman theme or whatever. That's what music brings is an intangible level of dynamic Dynamics. Sorry, I do it again. Because our lives are ebbing and flowing, our lives are dynamic. Mm-hmm. Music can align to that, and music will allow us to align to it. Yeah. So there's a, there's a spiritual and a divine connection as well. Mm-hmm. You know, think of you know King David. I mean, he wrote he wrote laments, he wrote praises, he wrote dances mm-hmm. i mean he was a pretty emotional dude yeah very honest too yeah um yeah music that's, that's can, my music take can allow us to align to it that is true that's the power of music if, too. if we allow ourselves to do it yeah if we allow ourselves to do it yeah yeah otherwise the whole baby einstein line wouldn't have existed you familiar with that line of music mm. it was it was it was a series of CDs back in the day called Baby Einstein, and they were down-tempo, really chill, calm classical tunes that new parents were supposed to play in their nursery with their new kids because it would calm their children, mm-hmm. help them sleep, like a lullaby. Yeah. A lullaby is designed to force us to align to it. Oh, I see, yeah. This oh, is really okay. what sure. I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. But a big Olympic theme is also designed to align us to it because we want to, it wants to lift our spirits mm-hmm. to the spirit of competition, good sportsmanship, you know. Mm-hmm. Ta-da! Yeah. So we're also, uh, up-tempo uh, wants us to align to it when the time is right. Yeah, one of the cool things about music too is it does transcend beyond the human race. So we have a pet pig, and the first night we got this pet pig. It's a new house. It's just small. And we'd heard that pigs like music, right? Oh, that's awesome. So the whole family is going to sleep in the boys' room, and everyone's excited. The whole family's in there. I brought in the Sonos, and the pig's, you know, he's 
walking around the room and he's getting accustomed to the family and this is a new home. It's his first night and there's a blankets in the corner, but he doesn't, you know, I mean, he walks over there and, but he's just kind of around plug in the Sonos snow patrol immediately stopped, just stopped. That's hysterical. The pig, wow. a two month old pig just stopped immediately. Music came on, stopped. And, uh, walk kind of, he was right there. So he stops kind of takes like two or three steps, lays down and we just pet the pig and listen to snow patrol for like 45 minutes. What a great moment. So what is music's effect on dogs? I don't know. I'm sure cats don't give a crap. Um, but, <laughs> Much about anything than but, themselves. but you could have put a painting in front of that pig. You could have shown, uh, you know, diesel, your picture, uh, it wouldn't have had an effect, but music had an effect on him. So it does, I think, transcend something about music that even can transcend the human race. Well, there, and, I mean, it, it can be a physical experience because it's literally vibrations. It's sound exactly, waves. Yes. So there yeah. might have been a, a tactile thing mm-hmm. that maybe the pig heard. I don't know. Yeah. That's funny. A couple months ago, we went through a really crappy season like a year ago, and, and it kind of just set me on my butt for a little while. And a couple months ago, I'd never listened to much opera, but I was listening to some opera like every night. Yep. And I even made the comment to Mariana, like maybe opera can help me kind of find my path onward. Like it felt like there was something about opera that is like uplifting and forward moving. I don't know. It just felt like it was really serving a purpose there <laughs> for like some period of time a few months ago. And it was just like, helping me on to what's next that's very cool music yeah i did an opera phase uh, i call it a phase because um, i try to focus like like i dedicate a year um i haven't done it so much for the last two or three years because i just i'm consuming so many podcasts these days but prior to my podcast habit addiction um i would dedicate like come december when you start lining up your goals for the year I'd be like, this is going to be my year to really dive into the opera world. Ooh, I like or, that. Or yeah. I want to spend a year exploring just the classical world. I've, I found mm-hmm. myself to be classically mu- classical music illiterate. Yeah, me too. Um, then, and then it was a small step into the opera world. Fascinating world, by the way. Um, then from there, I, I, you know, I went several other places. But um, yeah, I'm, there's something about opera that I don't fully understand. Same. But some of those but songs, like man. It. Yeah, There's exactly. Something about it, I, I, I dig it. But I think art can be made in conversation too. If you think about what yes. we're doing right now, um, I didn't know you, and we just sat down and started talking to each other. Yep. But we weren't looking on our phone. Thank we God. We weren't distracted. We weren't. We didn't have a TV playing in the background, and we were talking about a subject that we're both interested in, genuinely. Yeah. Genuinely, not oh, let's try to f- talk about right. photography and art for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? Genuinely interested in it. And that I think you can make some magic in conversation too. I agree, and that's a gift too from from the creator. So, because there's that human connection. Yeah, that, mean, maybe in, that's in what case, it is. Maybe that's what it it's is. Face to face, but in a performer's case, it's from the stage to the audience, mm-hmm. and the audience to the stage, um, or over the your MP3 or or, or whatever. But yeah. there, there's there's that connection. Yeah, and I think again. 
we are hardwired for a connection mm-hmm. horizontally, but I'm also a firm believer that we're vertical connection. Agreed. Let me ask you this because I'm curious about it. Post Malone has said straight up that you wouldn't have his music without Bud Light and drugs. Now, I'm sure you'd probably have some of his music. You might have most of his music, but you wouldn't have it all. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't. And by the way, I'm not advocating that people go listen to Post Malone. He has a lot of foul language in a lot of his songs. But what are your thoughts on that? Is it okay? <laughs> Is it okay to like put yourself in a frame of mind to make really exceptional art? And if putting yourself in that frame of mind requires the use of some substances, like, is that sort of a, um, what's the term, like a, like a um, casualty of the, your line of work? There's a term for that. Yeah, it's like an unintended consequence or like an occupational hazard. Occupational hazard, yeah. Because I think we probably, Collateral damage. Yeah, like, I mean, look, a lot of people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't listen to this stuff, but there's a lot of music that I listen to that probably involves some occupational hazards to get that music. Does that make listening to that music wrong? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, enter the discussion of the tortured artist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I'm only familiar visually with Post Malone. Like if you showed me a picture, I'm like, hey, there's Post Malone. Tats all over his face, body. If you were playing music, I'm like, uh, you wouldn't know. I wouldn't know who he was. Yeah. Um, Listen to Circles. Okay. Okay. Listen to Circles by Post Malone. It's clean. Um, Everyone can listen to Circles. I, and I don't know a thing about him other than if I saw his photo, I know who he is. Mm-hmm. I know his name, know his face. I've just shared with you everything I know about Post Malone. Yeah. Um, wouldn't have his music without Bud Light and drugs. I'm going to just go out on a limb. I might revise that to wouldn't have his music as we know it. Mm-hmm without Bud Light and Drugs, wouldn't have this music that he's creating without Bud Light and Drugs. Mm -hmm. But without Bud Light and Drugs, I bet he would create something else. I bet he would still create music. It just wouldn't necessarily be... Been that exact music? This music created with Bud Light and Drugs. Yeah. That's an optimistic viewpoint. I don't know that I disagree... But yeah, that's just something we'll not know, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the podcast world, you also wouldn't have um, Joe Rogan without psychedelics. True. So, but there is still a category for abuse of substances. Yes. I was about to go enter Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, all of these amazingly talented people that died way too young and a lot of them at age 28. Yeah, which is weird, by the way. Yeah, that's super weird. Yep. What more could they have contributed to society without what made them that we knew them as? Yeah. You're right. And also, I said Joe Rogan without psychedelics. He's not into a bunch of drugs, by the way. So, like, there is... Um, like he's not doing what I would consider hard drugs. Okay. You know what I mean? So 
if he was doing that, we probably wouldn't even have Joe Rogan anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> which is I mean? where I was getting to. Yeah, um, yeah. That's you know, good. I'm at, glad you brought at, that in. And, at, you know, at some point, at what point is there diminishing returns? Exactly. <laughs> I, I used to manage a, uh, a jazz trio. Um, it was a great moment in my life. And the bassist, one of my favorite stories he would tell is he would talk about this legendary bassist that, I, I forget what the name is, but in the jazz world, he, he was a known entity. And someone asked this legendary bassist, and he's like, you know, you seemed a little lit tonight. How do you play so well drunk? And he was like, I practice drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because practice doesn't make perfect, actually. Uh, yeah. Perfect practice makes perfect. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, at, you know, but at some point is, is, the, is being drunk part of his music making? Or is that is it a genuine addiction to alcohol that right. causes him to per, be in this perpetual downward spiral of alcoholism mm -hmm. and and again i don't know who it is he could have just been a really old dude but would that basis still be alive if he's not yeah had he not practiced and played performed drunk yeah yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good and, question. And, and we're just we're speculating at this point. Exactly. But. Yeah. Well, and we can't talk a little bit about drugs without just stating the obvious, which is the three most dangerous and commonly accepted drugs for whatever reason in this culture is sugar, tobacco, and alcohol. And caffeine. Yeah, but is caffeine really that dangerous? Dangerous? Uh, probably not. Yeah, because I think alcohol is one of the most <laughs> dangerous drugs out there. Yep. And sugar. And sugar. Yep. Kobe, is it really six o'clock? Oh, man. His wife is driving down, and my wife's driving up. We're meeting for dinner. Oh, nice. It's That's the right time? Dinner's at 6.30. Okay. Well, that went quick. Yeah, it is 5.50. We didn't, we didn't even talk about most of the stuff I brought you on to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do this again sometime? We could, I, would, I would love it. I, I love a good conversation. Um, I have been jonesing for a face-to-face -face conversation like this. Yeah. Um, and the interesting timing here, so I have this tonight, which is amazing. Tomorrow, I have my first lunch at a restaurant with a buddy of mine I haven't seen for a while. Ah. Um, on Sunday, I get to meet the engineer of one of my podcasts who lives in Atlanta. We've only met by computers. Mm. She's in town. We're actually going to have a cup of coffee Face to face, yes, in a coffee shop. You know that third space that we love. I mean, I, I I'm amateur barista. I mean, I'm the coffee maker at my house. Okay, but there's something about having someone else do it for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm so looking forward to that. But also just to go to a coffee shop and then sit and have a conversation with someone at said coffee shop. So Friday, <laughs> Saturday. Good so for you, man. This is my. It was you. Know, I'm coming out. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming Dude, out of quarantine this week. Yeah, there's something about face to face human interaction that you can't duplicate. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah, it's on one of my favorite Zoom things. Or to whatever. Do. And yeah. it's often done over um, bringing food in. I mean, I'll have a good meal, a long, drawn out meal with a long, drawn out conversation. Yeah, yeah I agree. Like, but, uh, yeah, Let's it. make sure we plug everything you have going on. Cause you, have, you, have, you have a lot going on, I by do. the way. Um, so you're full time at Journeys. Yep. You would do some of these uh, bridal portraits if called upon. Yep. 
but you're involved with like multiple podcasts. Which ones are you involved with? Let's make sure we plug what um, you want to plug here. I, I have three. Um, my first one is called Collected Clan, collectedclan.com. And these are, the, actually, this show is very similar to mine. Mm. Um, the difference is I have history with everybody that I've been on. Oh, that okay. I have on my show. oh that's cool. They're my people. Yeah. This, they're, they're part of the clan I have collected. Oh, I see. They're my, sure. my souvenirs of life. Yeah. Um, and I'm telling their stories. I'm just, okay. I'm the facilitator. I want to tell their stories. Again, okay. At a, um, elevating and celebrating. Are they people them. with exceptional stories or they're just, you're telling their story because they're exceptional to you? You know what I mean? Like well, they're, well, they're near to you and that's why they're telling their story? Yes. I mean, everyone has uh, But they also story. have really, I mean, they have interesting stories. Okay. Um, that people will benefit from hearing mm-hmm. um they're, they're just normal everyday you know jane and joe yeah um but they're, it's, they're ordinary but they're they have something extraordinary about them and i just i want to celebrate them love that so collected that, that clan collected clan dot yeah. com yes okay um available everywhere podcasts are um, I have another one that is currently on hold uh it is for and from like the smallest audience ever my subdivision Oh, very nice. Literally. Yeah. The subdivision uh, is called Woodmont. The show is called Woodmont Neighbors. Everything, host, guests, cover art, music, comes from our little hamlet. Nice. If it's not from our footprint, it doesn't get in. Okay. Uh, but it's on hold. Um, I'm looking for a sponsor. Hello, neighbor, <laughs> if you're listening to this. <laughs> We can fire it up. I'll promote your business. Um, and the other one, uh, which I actually feel is the most important, is called Someone Like Me. And it is the official podcast for In Slavery, Tennessee, which is the Middle Tennessee uh, organization that works with survivors of human uh, sex and labor trafficking. Mm-hmm. Mostly sex trafficking, but they work with a lot of labor trafficking also. I didn't know they worked with labor trafficking. Yep. Okay, so those are the three podcasts. Yes. And then if someone wants to keep you in mind for Bridal Portrait, is there a website they could go to for that? Uh, GregoryBuyerlinePhoto.com mm-hmm. uh, or just email me at my first name, last name at Gmail, GregoryBuyerline at Gmail.com. Okay. Uh, that one gets to me. Yeah, that, that'd be the easiest way. But if you want to see the work, go to the website. If you want to message me. Okay. Um, I, and actually, I'm the only one on the planet with my name. So if you want to reach me, I'm on Facebook under, hey, you guessed it, Gregory Byerline. I'm on LinkedIn under Gregory Byerline. Instagram, like... Do you think you're the only Gregory Byerline on the planet? Um, that, I've, that I've come across in my searching, yes. Wow. That with, be... with our spelling. Okay, There sure. may be another one with an alternate spelling, the same phonetics. Yeah, but okay. What I'm you... easy to find. I can't hide, which is both a good thing and a bad yeah. thing. Yeah, um, that's a good but thing. But I can be found. What do you want to leave with our listeners as it relates to art, photography? I mean, just everything we're talking about. I feel like a lot of what we're talking about actually comes back to art and living like the human experience. What do you want to leave with our listeners? Just be you. Be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Don't live a life that tells a story that's not you. Don't don't put on facades. Um, and, and I get this from um, 
when I was photographing pageant headshots, there's a level of expectation of take me to a level of a veneer where I'm not who I am because I have to compete with other people. Mm -hmm. I was at an event and I'm looking at the directory and I'm seeing these photos. I'm like, where's this girl? Oh, that's her. She doesn't look a thing in real life like she does in this photo. Mm-hmm. It wasn't real. Mm-hmm. So be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Um, you can become a better version of yourself if you want to not be what you currently are. Strive for that mm-hmm. instead of striving to be the next whatever, try yeah. to be the best version of you. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. That's how I, that's how I sign off every collected clan episode is just now go be you. Oh yeah. Gregory Byerline. <laughs> this was Thanks great. Thanks for being on the podcast, bro. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. I